My wife and I, and I'll mention it again later, my wife and I leave on Tuesday uh, afternoon for Senegal, West Africa. Every two years, we have the opportunity to speak to all the missionaries in that area. The regional office for the Christian Missionary Alliance in all of Africa is in Dakar, Senegal, and we speak with them. The Dakar Academy is there, a Christian school, and as well, all the missionaries in that region. Ivory Coast, one of the missionary stations that we used to go to before, is in civil war. And uh, you read so much about northern Africa, but Ivory Coast is in civil war as well. All the missionaries have had to get out. They are going to be there, some from Tunisia. So uh, we would appreciate your prayers. We would covet your prayers for when we go. Obviously, I don't feel well. I apologize for my voice this morning. But uh, we would covet your prayers as we go and have the opportunity to speak to them. All of them have gone through extremely uncertain times. Living in Africa is a day-to-day journey of uncertainty. And so if you would pray for us, we would appreciate that. Connie will be ministering to their children. I think there's somewhere between 15 and 20 of them between ages 1 and 9 or 10 or something like that. So a pretty big spread. We would appreciate that. You know and I know that life is very unpredictable. You can go from one day when things are going extremely well to another day when you're really uncertain about what's going to happen next. It happens in small ways or in large ways. On Thursday morning, my son and daughter had the opportunity to finalize the adoption of our grandson in the Allegheny Courthouse, and we were thrilled with that as everything went through. And so when the judge hit the gavel and he was named Julian Eric Chrysic McAdams, the lawyer said, could you please spell that, which I can understand why. And on Saturday morning, he ends up in Children's Hospital and uh, did get to go home last night. There are a lot of people that live with way much different uncertainty than that. Steve, our drummer this morning, and his wife Amy live with that uncertainty with their child Christian every single day. A couple of weeks ago when I was putting this message together, knowing that we were going to go to Africa and Kelvin and the group were going to be here last Sunday morning, I secluded myself in the office and I wrote this sermon so that I could be prepared for the day as well as write all the sermons for Africa And as I looked at the text this week, as I began to pull it out and recognize where we are now, even compared to where we were two weeks ago, I thought how unbelievably relevant this text is. We're in James chapter 4. When James says at the end of that passage of Scripture, I want you to know, as lovingly as I know how, that life is very fragile, very unpredictable, and I do not want you to take it for granted. I want you to recognize and understand that it's a very short amount of time in comparison to all eternity, and the decisions that you make now with all the resources that God has given you, your time, your talent, and treasures are absolutely critical to using it well because the time frame is really, really short. When I looked at this passage of Scripture at the end of chapter 4 when he said today or tomorrow we'll go this way or that way, we'll spend a year there, carry on business, make money, what? In verse 14, you don't even know what's going to happen tomorrow. And then this week as I watched the unbelievable tragedy in Japan over the last week and a half, and and I found myself riveted to the TV in a sense because we saw so much footage of what took place. And again, I recognize the fact that a number of years ago, the tsunami hit Southeast Asia, and we didn't see near as much. And then I remember that everyone in Japan has a a camera, a, a video camera or something like that compared to Southeast Asia. And some of these countries that are somewhat forgotten when 120,000 people in that area of the world lost their lives to that tsunami. And now we see villages wiped out. 
I watched the scenes unfold. It was like something out of a movie. You just can't grasp the magnitude of what took place. Last night when I turned on the news as I watched on the internet that we had bombed Libya. And eight years ago to the day, we invaded Iraq in an effort to take out an ungodly individual. And now in the same context, even though our president says we're not going to go in with troops, but to go in and take out an ungodly, uh, immoral individual with the same kind of mentality in mind and wondering again, what's going to happen next? It's not hard to look at the scenes as they begin to unfold and wonder what is going to take place. We don't know what tomorrow is going to hold. And so when I read this section of Scripture in James chapter 4, when he said, you want to do this, you want to do that, and I understand that. There's nothing wrong with aspirations, nothing wrong with desire, nothing wrong with planning, absolutely nothing wrong with making money. That's not what he's talking about at all. What he is saying is you need to recognize the uncertainty of life and the uncertainty of time and use very well the resources that God has given you, whether it be your resources of money, whether it be this resource in this gift called time. Even though Scripture says the average individual is going to live to 70 years of old, none of us have that guarantee that it's going to happen. When I began ministry 30-some years ago, I had anticipated at some point or the other, out of a lot of naivety, I realized that, that most of the funerals that I would be doing would be for people in their 80s. I mean, that's who pastors do funerals for, older people. Scripture says you may live to 70, and if by reason of strength, three score years and 10, which is 80, there's going to be a lot of strength, labor, and sorrow, and soon it will be cut off, and we will fly away. And So I had anticipated, even at my naive age, that we were going to be doing funerals for a lot of people in their 80s and 70s and and 90s. I find myself in my first church in Beaverdale, Pennsylvania, and we had started a youth ministry in a building that wasn't being used for anything else, and we turned it into a youth center and had a lot of kids coming on Friday nights and Saturday nights, and two days or three days after it opened, I got a call from one of the moms who said, my 17-year-old son just killed his 16-year-old brother, and I need you to do the funeral. A few months later, I'm doing the funeral for a two-year-old baby and then a nine-year-old boy and then a 21-year-old Marine. And then all of a sudden, I realized, as much as I knew I knew that, that life is really unpredictable and extremely fragile and cannot be taken for granted and it cannot be taken lightly. It obviously has to be taken seriously. We enjoy life to the fullest and we love and we laugh and we do everything we possibly can to enjoy the life that God has entrusted into our hands. But at the same time, we want to make sure that we use it very well. Because as he says in the first few verses of chapter 5, your life is a vapor. It's like a cloud passing in in the summer sky. You ever had the opportunity, like many of us did growing up in the context of the outdoor world, I constantly found myself lying on my back just watching the sky go by. And we were always trying to pick out animals in the clouds. You all do that? And, and, to, and to watch them dissipate and watch them change. And, and when, when James uses that phrase in 4 and 5 and talks about life being a vapor, that's what he has in mind, that it's going to go by so quickly. And if you remember lying down in that context and watching it change shape, it didn't take long for you to see it change and eventually dissipate. James says, I want you to understand the same context that you saw that change is really what life is all about. So really, take it seriously. Don't ignore it. Don't waste it. Don't... Let it slip through your fingers without using it to the fullest of your ability. And using this resource called time and and the gifts and the talents and the money that God has given you for his glory and use it well because it goes by so fast. 
Now, I'm not one to be very comfortable with the advertisements and the events that many people have planned down through the ages to try to scare people into making some transition in their life or, in many contexts, try to scare them into Christianity. I grew up in the 70s where almost every church was doing Distant Thunder and Thief in the Night. Any of you grow up those days? Where we would show those movies about end times rapture and end times theology and the intention was to wake people up and to shake them up and to make them recognize that life is going to fall the way Scripture says it will and Jesus is going to come back and the tribulation is going to take place and Christ is going to return and this world will end. And it was in the intention of that movie and movies like that, one in 72 and one in 78, to try to get people to recognize that life is really fragile and God is going to return and Jesus will come back. And we tried to, as much as we knew how, to get people to recognize that part of life and what was going to take place and to try to shake them up a little bit. As time went on, the Left Behind series came out and every church then began to do that. Trying again to recognize the fact that life is fragile, life is short. Jesus is returning. The rapture will take place when we're not sure, but it will. And so you need to be ready for that day. And then over the last number of months, I'm not sure if you've seen it anywhere, in May 21st now when they said all along we're not sure when the day is, somebody has found out when it is, and they're saying now it's going to be May 21st, 2011. Driving into, of all places, Punxsutawney, Pennsylvania, that's well-known for the groundhog, and there's a huge billboard sign that says, Judgment Day is coming, May 21st, 2011. I said, I didn't know. <laughs> and so I came home and looked up the website, looked up the date, and a long article and a 12-page rendition of how now they've gone through all the calendar events of things that have taken place and, and then have recognized that it that really could happen then. And I don't know. And, and then the final judgment is sometime in October of this year. If you've ever seen the, the trailer, I don't watch a lot of movies, but I saw the trailer because of the context of the message this morning for the movie 2012 of a devastation of humanity. If you saw that before the tsunami that hit Japan, or if you've seen it at all, you will recognize an enormous amount of similarities. Of that kind of an event taking place where everything in a moment changed. You've probably seen world maps like this over the last number of months of where the tsunamis and earthquakes have taken place over the last number of months. You can see the, I know you can't see it very well, but if you look, what you would probably have seen is what's called that ring of fire. I forgot my pointer. From Australia all the way up around the coast of China to the coast of uh, North America and South America, that ring of fire and those rings represent tsunamis and earthquakes that have taken place some over the last few weeks, some over the last 12 weeks. You'll see the yellow ones. The last 12 weeks. And of course the, uh, the red ones in the last 15 years or the pink ones in the last 15 years. What stood out to me was that obvious red that you see there yesterday and today. Talks about when it was taken with a tsunami in Japan. What stood out to me was the yellow ones. That have all taken place within the last 12 weeks. You've also seen a map like this, I'm sure, on ABC, NBC, and anything like it that talked about what's going on in North Africa and the Middle East. Those pockets or those red marks there, or the unrest that has taken place in so many cities and so many countries around that particular area of the world. And to, uh, in Iran, Iraq, Yemen, all the things that you've seen in Egypt, 
Joel just told me a couple of weeks ago that in Senegal, men have set themselves on fire in the streets as they did in Egypt, but because there hasn't been mass demonstrations, it was with that that all the, the television crews were in Egypt and taking place and then all the things that unfolded in that area. What's unique about when you look at this map and then read uh, just a couple of excerpts out of uh, a letter from Franklin Graham this week that came on the heels of this is when you look at where the unrest is taking place in all of northern Africa, Yemen, in Saudi Arabia, they put that down, but obviously in all those places, one thing that you don't see there just because of the magnitude of the map, so many of them surround the nation of Israel. And I put a lot of stock in that. That a lot of things that are taking place around that area. Franklin Graham, in a letter that came out just on March the 21st in a publication from what he now runs as his father's organization, the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association, said, regardless of the short-term outcome of what's taking place in all of these places, there's an underlying conflict in all of this with radical Islam. Much of the effort, whether publicly or secretly, is under the banner of the Muslim Brotherhood, an organization founded in Egypt 40 years ago that's been active in many countries ever since, including the United States. Its two main basic goals are to replace governments and constitutions in order to bring nations under Sharia law and to destroy Israel. Political turmoil that we've witnessed in Egypt could well result in the Muslim Brotherhood coming to power there. Now, again, the media will say it's not that, but obviously he's saying there's a lot of truth to that. A leader of the Muslim Brotherhood speaking a few days ago in the Arabic language news media said that under any new Egyptian government, the people should be prepared for war against Israel. Over the last centuries and centuries and centuries, you and I have both known that there is that constant, constant reminder of what's going to happen near the end of time when all the nations around Israel are going to come against it. Now, I'm not a chicken little guy. You know chicken little, remember him? The sky is falling kind of thing so that every time you see an uncertain event, you think the sky is falling again. And I, I, I'm not a chicken little guy. I don't live that world or in that world. I'm, always not, I'm not always waiting for the other shoe to drop. But it is very difficult to remove yourself from all of these situations and still come to a conclusion that life is going to go on as normal. And so when I read this section in James chapter 4 and chapter 5 when he said, folks, I just want, I, I want to shake you up a little bit. I, I'm doing this as a friend. You have somebody come into your life or into your home and tell you that uh, that your furnace is going to go bad in a scam just to get you to buy a new furnace, you're going to be pretty irate that they did that. But it's it's a friend of yours who says, hey, I want you to know that if you don't replace this, it is going to blow up and burn down your house. He's going to be one of your best friends. That's what James is trying to do. He's trying to come into our lives as a friend to say, folks, I just want to tell you as lovingly as I know how, he's talking to people who've been scattered all over northern Asia, all over central Asia, whose lives have been turned upside down. He said, I just want as lovingly as I know how to tell you, this world is very unpredictable. So don't take it for granted. Don't take life for granted. Don't take time for granted. Don't take these gifts that God has given you for granted. He wants you to use them for your glory, for his glory, and so he's giving you time, he's giving you talents, he's giving you resources, and he wants to, you, you to use them well. James is trying to be a friend and remind us of two inevitable events in our lives. And no, it's not death and taxes, it is death and the judgment. In chapter 4 and chapter 5 of these verses here, he very clearly reminds us that time is coming when we will all stand before God. And give an account of how the life that we've lived. 
Every funeral that I attend, especially when it's for somebody that's young, I, I admit there's a lot I don't understand. And when I see someone taken so early out of life, I am very certain that I look at those situations and recognize I do not understand. And I don't know why it's happened, but there are some things that I do know for sure. And one is that we will all die. Secondly, we will all stand before God and give an account of how we've lived. And thirdly, none of us know for sure when that will be. So I want to take my life very seriously, and I want to understand that reality. Hebrews 9.27, just as it was destined once to die, and after that to face the judgment, he says. You can deny it, you can ignore it, but it's going to happen. And James, in an effort to help people understand the fragility of life and the shortness of life or the brevity of life, just simply says, I just want to remind you of that. I know you're facing a lot of uncertainty. I know there's so many things going on around you that you don't quite grasp. I just want to remind you that whatever happens and whatever takes place, I want you to be very aware of the fact that life is short. It's filled with a series of choices. And I want you to use well what has been entrusted into your care. Scripture talks clearly about two end-time events, the judgment seat of Christ and the the uh, great white throne judgment, the great white throne judgment, and we'll talk a little bit more in a couple of weeks, out of Revelation talks about all who do not know Christ standing before him and, and being condemned and judgment seat of Christ is in Corinthians 1 and 2, and, or First and Second Corinthians that talks about those of us who are believers standing before the judgment seat of Christ and giving an account of how we've lived, what we have done with what's been entrusted into our care. Some things he tells us will last, some things won't. Some things are very obvious. The way I've invested in people, the things that I've done for the glory of God, the way I've used my gifts, my time, my talents, my resources, the way I've used my money, where I've invested my money, some of those things are going to be obvious because you've decided to put them into things that will last, not things that won't. You decided to not do what James chapter 5 says and hoard it for yourselves or hold on to it as tightly as you can, but you wanted to invest it. You wanted to give it away. You wanted to use it well for the glory of God. Some things are obvious. Some things may not be. Some things like holding a baby in a nursery so a mom and dad could come into sanctuary and find Jesus Christ and whose lives will forever change because of that may not be as obvious as investing money in, a, in something that is tangible or a building or something like that. But it's being able to take what God has entrusted into my care and use it for his glory and know that when I stand before him, I'll be able to stand with a smile on my face and joy in my heart to know that I've used it well, whether it's 19 or 99 that I stand before God. I know, God, when I stand before, I've used it well. And what you entrusted into my care, I didn't waste it, didn't hoard it, didn't hold on to it so tightly that I couldn't give it away when you asked me to and I couldn't release it when you wanted me to. I'm delighted with what you've entrusted into my care and, and, and how I've been able to be blessed by that. And I wanted to use my time and my talents and my treasures to bless other people, to give it away, to bring glory to you. One of the central messages of the gospel is that. Jesus spoke more often on two things than any other subject, the value of the human soul and the use of our resources. There were 2,000 verses on money and possession. 16 out of 38 parables dealt with what it is that we've been entrusted with. I've often wondered when I read James writing chapter 4 and the end of chapter 4 about life is a vapor and life is very short if he hadn't mind listening to some of the stories of Jesus. One example is in Luke chapter 15 when a, a, a man talked about all the things that he had been blessed with and how much that he had received. He told them this parable in Luke chapter 12. The ground of a certain man yielded an incredibly abundant harvest. 
The man thought to himself, what will I do with what I have? Now, and that's a great question. It's one of the greatest questions of all of Scripture. What am I going to do with what I have? The problem is he came up with the wrong answer. He said, I'll store it up and keep it for myself. I'll just use it for me. This is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns. I'll build bigger ones, and, and, and there I'll store my surplus. Got a lot of grain laid up for myself. I'll take it easy, eat, drink, and be merry. In verse 20, God comes to him and says, you fool. This very night, your life's going to be demanded. And what will you get with what you've prepared for yourself? I wonder when James wrote chapter 4, if he thought of that parable of Jesus saying, that's a great question. Unfortunately, he came up with the wrong answer. You've decided to hold on to it, keep it for yourself, do with it what you wanted for you and you alone. As opposed to using all the gifts that God has given me, my time, my talent, my treasures for his glory and the benefit of other people. Jesus indicated over and over again that so much is able to be told about who we are inside based on what we do with what's been given to us. Which is exactly what James has been talking about. It's not about what we say. It's about what we do and how we live with what's been entrusted into our care. In James' context here, he's talking to people who are in very, very difficult environments. There's no way to think of it within the context of the United States. See, uh, to be honest with you, the only way to really put my mind around it is to understand it within the context of a third world area. Connie and I leave next or Tuesday, as I said, for a very poor country, and many of those in Africa are like that. Next Sunday, Pastor Ted's going to come up and share what God taught him, and you'll hear stories from other people about being in the Dominican Republic and what it's like to be in that context, what it's like to be in that world when we just so simply forget what it's like when we're in our context here until you walk into that environment and recognize that so much of the world is so unbelievably underprivileged. James is writing to people in that context, people who are at one extreme or the other. There's no middle class when James is writing. He's writing to people who have hoarded their wealth for themselves, who could have cared less about anybody else, similar to what you see in so many African countries where they just accumulate and accumulate and accumulate and accumulate. And so many of the people around them are so unbelievably poor. James is talking to people like that who have seen it happen over and over again. A world that Jesus walked into and said, I just want you to know what's been entrusted into your care is so valuable and so precious. Use it wisely and use it well. Life is short. He said, invest in the right things. (coughs) None of this is an effort to make us feel guilty. It's just simply a reminder that life is extremely precious and a very valuable commodity and never wants to be taken for granted. It's a reminder to be grateful and generous. To go home feeling that we have really been blessed and extremely grateful and out of that gratitude begin to wonder, Lord, I am so blessed. What do you want me to do with what you've entrusted into my care? What do you want me to do with this gift called life? What do you want me to do with my time? How do you want me to use it? I don't want to waste it. I don't want to let it slip by. I don't want to let it be a vapor. I want to use it well. What do you want me to do with this time that I've been given? Whether I had the next 10 years or the next 30 years, I realized a a year ago when I was taking some time off, or last summer when I was taking some time off, two-thirds of my life is over. Over two-thirds of my ministry life is over. 
And so I've been asking myself the same question. I, I, I want to I use it well. I want to use it wisely. I don't want to let it slip through my hands. Those of us who are older, we all know how life goes by so fast. You watch your kids grow up in a blink of an eye. You watch the world turn so fast. And you wonder, where has it gone? And I don't want to get to the end of life saying, man, I, I wish I'd have thought more clearly. And so James says, can I just be your friend? Can I walk into your life a minute and just simply say, hey, Life's really unpredictable. It's okay to plan. It's okay to, to invest. It's okay to make money. None of that I'm knocking. He just simply says, I just want you to use it well. And I don't want you to think that you're not going to be accountable for it. And I don't want you to think that, that no one will ever know. Because I do, he said. And so use it well. The God of the universe started it. When he sent his one and only son into the world, he who was rich yet for our sakes became poor so that we through his poverty might become unbelievably rich. You ever wonder or give something away and recognize that it felt so good and he felt so much joy? You ever wonder why you felt that way? Because you were imitating God who had so much that based on all we were and where we were, he gave it all away. Philippians tells us he emptied himself, took on the form of a servant, died on a cross to offer us life and offer us eternal life. Life is not about, about making a living. It's about making a difference and using what has been entrusted into my care well and wisely. And James just walks into our life and says, folks, stop for a minute and just reflect. And how unbelievably blessed you've been and how unbelievably blessed you are. And look at your time, look at your talents, look at your gifts, look at your resources and say, what do you want me to do with what's been entrusted into my care? Because I really want to use it well. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for the power of your word. For walking into our lives and reminding us again of what has been entrusted into our care. And so this morning as we take these emblems that remind us of your unbelievable sacrifice and you're doing exactly what we've talked about, you who were rich, for our sakes we came poor so that we who are poor might become unbelievably rich in Christ. And so Lord, as we hold these elements in our hands, will you give us the opportunity to reflect and, and again concentrate on what it is that's been entrusted into our care. I don't want to flippantly go through life. I don't want to waste it. I don't want to ignore it. I don't want to walk through and regret it. I want to use it for your glory. And so, Lord, as we examine ourselves this morning, as your word very clearly tells us we ought to, help us to do it within the context of what it is that your word says, to evaluate what has been entrusted into our care and what we're doing with it and how we're using it. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. In 1 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul reminds us of what Jesus did for us the night he was betrayed, when he took bread and broke it and the cup and blessed it and said, this is my body, this is my blood shed for you. And every time you do it, I want you to remember me. I want you to remember what I've done. I want you to remember the sacrifice that I've made. I so often wonder, of all things, how in the world could it be easy for us to forget? And yet he constantly said, remember me. And then I recognize how fast life goes and how easy it is to just slip through life and 
all of a sudden to recognize that a certain time frame has gone by and we've forgotten some of the things that have happened and have taken place. And so he says, every time you do this, I want you to remember me. This morning, what I'd like you to do when you take the bread and the cup, and as we have said before, it's all in one tray, and so pass it to the person beside you and let them help you or you serve them, and, and then as it goes down the line that way. But I'd love for you to spend some time just in reflection. God, you've given me so much. Give me a great life. Give me good health. You've given me incredible resources. We're more blessed than any other continent on the planet. What do you want me to do? What's what's been entrusted into my care? That's a phenomenal question that every one of us ought to ask. And let him tell you the answer. And then you tell him what you're going to do with what he just asked of you. Communion stores are going to come. We're going to serve you all. We'd like for you to wait until everyone is served, and then we'll partake together. And then we'll explain to you at the end what you do with the cup and and the tray. Father, bless this time. May you be glorified in it. These two elements that represent life and where we really get life is from you. And so, God, I ask that you will use it for your glory and speak to us as we spend some time just communing with you this morning around these elements. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
may be more than words on a screen and words from our lips. May it be the honest prayer of our heart that we really do surrender all to you because you've given all for us. We hold in our hands this morning our reminders, incredibly simple, unbelievably profound, that stood the test of time for over 2,000 years as very vivid and visual reminders of what you gave for us and what you were willing to surrender and lay down so that we could have life and have it forever. And so we sit here this morning very grateful, incredibly blessed, and we just simply say thank you for what you were willing to do for us. And so we consciously recognize that we have a responsibility to determine what we do in light of what you have done for us with what's been entrusted to our care. And so as you've heard our prayers this morning, I trust that you're pleased with what you heard and that you'll continue to speak to us so that it's not just words in a moment of time, but it really does become the way we live our lives for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. First the bread, then the cup. In front of you, for those of you who accept the front row, and I'll take yours in a second, underneath the hymn book covers are a place to set one of these. Justin's going to do one final song. <coughs>
Will you give your time? Will you give your talent? Will you give your treasure? As a stand to him. Say, God, here I am. Use me and do what you want to do with me. Do that today. Make that choice today. Amen? Amen. 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 God bless you guys. God bless you. Love you. And I'll see you in a couple of weeks. Drive me crazy. I know. I saw it when he brought it out. I didn't see it till then.